Discourse Podcast, where we study the art and science of persuasion by thinking and acting creatively. I am Michael Schaus, founder of Schaus Creative LLC and the founder of the Creative Discourse newsletter on Substack, which of course includes this wonderful podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. So one of the reasons that I started the Substack Creative Discourse was because of the seemingly intensifying illiberalism that I just see in public discourse. Um, public discourse is a disaster. Uh, just tune into Twitter for a minute. You'll find that out. Uh, but I think much of it boils down to this sense of illiberalism, this sense of intolerance, the sense of uh, if you disagree with me, it's because you're an idiot. And you see that play out a lot in, obviously, politics, which then bleeds over into things like public policy. Um, so I'm not a terribly pessimistic person, and I kind of grapple with, should we be optimistic or pessimistic about the future of public discourse and just kind of our life in general, the state of the world? And uh, I figured I, I was introduced to somebody recently that would be a pretty good person to talk to about this because of a lot of what he writes on Substack, on his Substack, no doubt about it. Uh, Dowd Muska, who is a writer, uh, the proprietor of No Doubt About It on Substack. Of course, you can find that out and I'll include a link. Um, Dowd, thanks for joining me. Thank you. And I can't wait to spend the next several hours talking about how pessimistic I am. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, it's easy to get pessimistic, too. I mean, it's, uh, you know, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, you tune into something like Twitter or just cable news or what have you. And there are plenty of reasons to look at the world and think, wow, it's all going downhill. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and I, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of a ugly American and that I really, I'm interested in international affairs and I keep a very, you know, headline level knowledge of what's going on. But, uh, as a public policy analyst focused on American government at the local state and, and federal level, that that's my bias. And yeah, uh, the, the deadly seven that have been in my mind lately, I even had a, uh, it was just putting some thoughts together last night before this uh, on some of the, you know, I'm a data guy because I'm a, I'm a policy researcher. I mean, 40% illegitimacy rate in this country over slightly more than half of the, this was a study in 2016, slightly more than half of the 17 and eight year old high school cohort uh, reported that they were living in a house with both of their married birth mothers and fathers. Uh, wow. CDC's risk youth behavior survey. This was, I believe, 2021, so we were, we were into lockdown, 57% of high school females reported experiencing persistent feelings of sadness up 19 percentage points from just 10 years before that. Uh, the numbers for males are not good. 40% of all first marriages end in divorce in our country. The rate is higher. When people say, you know, half of all marriages end in divorce, you've got to disaggregate and, you know, look more closely at education levels and ages and that kind of stuff. But if it's a first marriage for both uh, 40%, and then as you go into second, third, and fourth marriages, it gets much, much higher. Uh, the loneliness epidemic persistent, uh, 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 particularly as it, per, as it applies to friendship uh, and, and family and companions. This is terrifying data, American perspectives. 12% uh, of Americans want more, more than one in two report having no friends at all. Uh, mm -hmm. That was only 3% in the 1990s. But, but this is another, uh, another way of, of looking at it just beyond having friends. The time you spend with family, your neighbors, your coworkers outside of the work environment, uh, that was about, uh, let's see, seven hours a week you spent with your friends and 15 hours a week with family, neighbors, and coworkers outside of work. Uh, 10 years later, only three hours a week with close friends and only 10 hours with all types of different uh, companions. This stat, I think it was done by an Ivy League 
uh, outfit right before lockdown, they had they had released this number. The number of alcohol-related deaths in America between 1999 and 2017, so 18-year period. So this was people who died from alcohol poisoning and DUI deaths and you know anything connected to alcohol more than doubled in an 18-year period. Again, this is pre, pre-lockdown. pre uh, our, right. our population did not double between 1999 and 2017, but our, <laughs> our alcohol-related deaths did double. I'm, I'm running out of material and a couple more data points, <laughs> folks. Uh, overdose deaths, the Wall Street Journal just did a report on the feds. Uh, their latest estimate last year was only the second year in which overdose deaths from narcotics uh, crested the 100,000 uh, mark. Uh, it was only the second time that's happened. And the Centers for Disease Control, and this is just a new uh, paper out by Marco Rubio, who I'm not a huge fan of for all sorts of reasons, but he did release, a, his office released a study, Senator, Republican Senator, uh, U.S. Senator from, from Florida, on the state of uh, men and working. It's, a, it's an interesting paper, and it's worth people taking a look at whether you love Marco Rubio or hate him. Uh, CDC number 49,500 people committed suicide self-deleted in 2022. That is the highest number on record. And for people who want to talk about how wonderful it is to be a man in America and how horrible it is to be a woman, 80% of those suicides were males. So that's the case for pessimism, Michael. Yeah, Um, yeah. Uh, Thanks for joining us. I'm going to go pour a whiskey. Uh, (laughs) Go run and play in traffic, yes. Right. No, I mean, it's, and that, and that's, those are a lot of scary stats, and it shows you that culturally we're in a very different place than where we were even, you know, even 10 years ago, but 20 yep. years ago, 30, 40. Um, and maybe it's just because I am getting older. It's it's always easy as you get older to look back and say, oh, weren't those the good old days? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I mean, what, what do you have anything for optimism here? Uh, do you have anything looking forward saying, hey, you know, one of the things that I always immediately jump to no matter how bad things start to get or how bad the you know political situation looks or in this case just kind of the cultural situation i always look at the world that i'm in and i'm like this this is amazing i mean granted we don't have flying cars yet but it is phenomenal that i live multiple states away from my uh from my parents and yet they can still have a grandparents and granddaughter relationship with my daughter because of things like zoom and uh, you know, Instagram and Twitter and everything else. It's uh, we do live in an amazing time. So, so give me some reasons not to go play in traffic right now. Well, I, I think we. It's weird. We've switched out. Uh, we've we've abandoned a lot of persistent problems that have plagued humanity for forever. Uh, one of my favorite stats is this was done by I think some anthropologists and geneticists uh, eight thousand years ago. Uh, they they looked through the genetic record, and I think it was seventeen women gave birth. 17 women uh, procreated for every one man who participated in in producing the child. So, uh, you know, if, if you were, again, for people who are concerned about the patriarchy, I mean, if you men have always been the disposable sex and men were shipped off to the mines, they were sent to sea, they were sent to war. Uh, and, you know, we don't live in that world anymore. And we look back on it, so much of us, we look back on it with, with horror. Uh, we imagine it to be horrible. And I, I, I don't... I don't, I don't know. Have we traded uh, uh, the life expectancy of only 31 years uh, for something that is, is <laughs> arguably wor- worse? So what we did, we, we evolved in an environment. And I, I would say we evolved, but I, you know, for religious listeners, if they want to put it on some higher power, feel feel free to do that. I think that's an area of, of agreement, or I think atheists and religious people can agree that we, mankind developed uh, in, in a certain environment over thousands of years, whether it was... 6,000 or whether it was <laughs> two or 300,000. We don't have to agree on that number, but uh, you you were raised in a family unit. You were surrounded by 
relatives, often they were very, very close relatives, parents, siblings, uncles, aunts, and, and cousins, people who would literally die for you. Uh, and, and people who maybe weren't closely related were sort of de facto family. You had these common threats every day, the saber-toothed tiger is going to come and get you. Uh, people worked constantly. Uh, uh, people were out hunting and gathering, or they were farming or fishing. Uh, women were pregnant so frequently. Women maintained the house. They were working constantly. They were doing uh, clothing and gardening and, you know, doing all these other other things. And also, and I think there's some researchers, maybe some kooky researchers on this, but I think there's a lot to it having grown up in, in on an apple orchard. We were very closely connected to nature in bad ways, like saber-toothed tigers and bacteria, but we also uh, were sort of bathed in the natural environment and the natural rhythms, uh, the time of day, the seasons, that kind of stuff. Uh, obviously, we weren't staring at, at screens all day. That's how mankind, whether you believe it was God-ordained or whether you're just sort of looking at the, the fossil record and the historical record, I mean, that's how mankind uh, 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 got to be where we are. And we have switched out with, with science and technology and communications, all these wonderful things that you're absolutely right to praise. Uh, we have switched out uh, a lot of those fears and a lot of those risks uh, for a lot more stability. And, and it's no longer the case that women breed 17 times more frequently than men. I think it's down to almost 50-50 now where men are at least past 40% of men are passing on their genes is a little a little fairer. Uh, and just walking down to the creek to catch some fish is not going to get you killed. I mean, we just <laughs> drive over to Whole Foods or Sprouts or, or whatever and get some, some salmon. But um, you can't take us out of that environment God-ordained or natural Darwinian Dawkins evolution. You can't just pull humanity out of that environment and plop us down and, and, and to live the kind of lives we have today, so technologically driven, so separated uh, from social connectedness, uh, this androgynous nonsense that men and women are exactly the same and they're interchangeable uh, and, and just not expect that to manifest itself in really, really ugly ways. And those seven points, I, I won't for the good of our listeners, I will not repeat them <laughs> about divorce and mental health and lack of friends and alcohol poisoning and overdoses. Um, we're seeing that play out. I guess what I would say in terms of optimism is if Marco Rubio, a, a career politician, can figure this out if if some of our academics and I, I think Jonathan uh, uh, Haidt, uh, who's a social psychologist, has done work on this. I think a lot of um, uh, sociologists are now working on the role of of social media, particularly how it seems to hit teen girls more than than any other group. But it, it hits all of us. This 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 insanity of being plugged into this 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 artificial type of communication and and you know expecting and demanding the dopamine hit of recognition and, and constantly being assaulted by other people's lives you know other people living their best lives and, and living in bali for a month and you know that's not my life i have to go to my crappy job <laughs> right. today so um you know you you can't pull mankind out of that environment and then plop them down in 2023 and and, and expect uh no consequences and, and i think we're just seeing these tremendously un, uh, negative consequences but as I said, some of the names I mentioned, uh, there's the great group, uh, the think tank called the Institute for Family Studies. Uh, they're looking at, they're very heavy on what role should government be playing and of course parents be playing in regulating social media for children. So it's gotten so bad that some voices are starting to speak up and say, what the hell is going on here? I don't know that they're bold enough to get really down to the root causes, but you can't begin to wrestle with a problem unless you first define it. So uh, if in the case of Rubio, a career politician, in the case of uh, uh, Jonathan uh, Haidt and, and other academics, you know, it's risky to point these problems out because the dominant culture 
is telling us everything is wonderful and, and this new glorious new progressive woke world we're living is is going to be wonderful for everyone um you know there are voices just sticking the head up hand up in the back of the class saying uh professor what about x y and z <laughs> this is ugly 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 and uh so i think that with the bolder those voices get and even the the the, the poison that is social media the, the cheap digital technology is enabling those of us who are not signing on for the dominant media government academic narrative that's being crammed down our throat uh in, in so many different ways you know we have the technology to reach audiences and, and people listening to this podcast i think are probably the type of people who are looking for solutions and not fostering and, and and expanding the problem yeah and and this is interesting it reminds me of everything you just said reminds me of what uh, jonathan height once pointed out and he said you know we are still basically a monkey's brain um yep. you know we we still have you cannot just erase hundreds of thousands of years of you know human evolution or however you want to put it you we've been here for a very long time and we still have the same brains basically that we had when you know we lived in caves um, and you're putting us into a very complex social world and social order. And I think that explains a lot of some of, you know, where I started, some of the illiberalism that we have going on in the world right now, especially when it comes to politics, because we're tribal creatures. We want to, yep. oh, here's, here's my group. You know, you talk to a Democrat from California and you get a very different worldview um, than, than if you talk to a Republican from Oklahoma. Uh, it's it's amazing how people really do kind of ensconce themselves in their own little individual bubbles and say this is this is my group this is my tribe so, so to speak and uh, and that leads to a really weird social dynamic that I think is playing out and and maybe the cause of or related to a lot of those things that you listed that we should be pessimistic about um, people don't seem happy right now if you just look at the state of America especially in the political side people seem very discontent and not just with the other side but kind of with everything I, i'm seeing here in nevada for example where where i'm located in las vegas uh non-partisans and and minor party uh voter registration is the largest share of voters in the state of nevada uh both democrats and republicans have been losing people for for a long time and i think that goes to show you how many people are saying hey i just want to check out this is all too much for me um is that something that I should be optimistic about or, or pessimistic about? I, I feel like there's there's some possibility there that, hey, maybe some sanity is going to kind of return to our world at some point. Because at the end of the day, Democrat, Republican, whatever, I think we all just kind of want, want that little American utopia where, hey, I can just live my life how I want and move on. And there's still pockets of that throughout the United States. Well, I'm thinking of the uh, that wonderful line from uh, Slacker, Richard Linklater's, I think his first sort of commercially released film, withdrawal in disgust is not the same as apathy. Uh, right. and, and, and a lot of people are, are withdrawing in disgust. <laughs> and uh, I, I get I, maybe there's a lot to be said for disgust. And, and, and you're right. Um, people are withdrawing because the, the tribalism has gotten to be so ridiculous, ridiculously toxic, and I, I call it uh, Trump derangement syndrome versus Trump deification syndrome. You know, right. you're, you're not allowed. You're not. There's there's no middle ground, yeah. which is is crazy. And you know, to, to go back to our eight thousand years ago, I mean, tribalism worked then it, it was sort of a necessary evil uh life was so much shorter and so much more dangerous and so much more 
deadly, uh, you damn well better stick with your group because uh, it's not like, you know, the, the folks coming over from the other side of the mountain, uh, they're going to kill the military age men. They're going to take the women as, as war brides and they're going to, you know, burn your, your huts and your, your food storage to the ground. Uh, you know, there, right. there it was, was it, it was really hard to open trade with the Vikings, you know, <laughs> tough. They didn't, they didn't. Uh, yes. And as a, as a Hibernian American, I recently found out that I had, uh, there was a genetic testing done for one of my relatives. And apparently we, uh, we have a little bit of Nordic in us uh, that we didn't know about. And I think that may have resulted from um, some of those boats coming ashore in Ireland a thousand years ago oh, and right. pitching monks out of the window and, and, and grabbing the, the, the ladies. Uh, another example of how, uh, how uh, we, we don't quite live in the uh, hideously patriarchal world that our, our feminists uh, tell us we do, but uh, enough of that tribalism. I, so it did work and it, and it is hardwired and, and Haidt talks about the, the football games. I guess he ended up going working at a university down south where, you know, on Saturdays, everybody dresses in the same color and everybody adorns their car. And he, I guess he didn't come from that culture. He probably came from a more intellectual Northeastern culture. And, and I think there's a video of him talking about that and, and, and how he, he had to uh, uh, adjust to that. Uh, you know, this is, you know, we're team red and their team, you know, green and white or whatever, and we're going to take their heads off. Um, are people withdrawing from that kind of, or is there a certain segment, maybe a plurality of people withdrawing from uh, the, the tribal, I think the false choice of team red and, and, and team blue. I, I think it's yeah, the last 10 or 15 years, political professionals and, and ideologues have, have been going with this theory that we're not really going to try to reach the middle because there's some real interesting social science research about how but political campaign spending, most of it's wasted. Uh, most people are not persuadable. Uh, and those, those, those voters between the 40 yard lines are very fickle. Uh, what you really need to do is supply as much red meat or blue meat to your team as much and, and boost your get out the vote uh, efforts as much and cater to those concerns uh, as much as you can and not do what was done in the past, which was try to do that, uh, you know, run as far to the left in the Democratic primary as you can and then run in the middle in the general, run as far to the right in the Republican primary as you can and then run to the general in the middle. Uh, that model seems to be breaking down and it, it it's led the ideologues and the partisans to get uh, more and more deeper, more deeply sort of mired in more boutique issues and very narrowly centered issues. Uh, I I kind of as a joke when I'm driving around here in, in my my uh, my adopted state of New Mexico, I do listen to a lot of right wing talk radio. And as a libertarian, people might think I'm a conservative, but I'm, I'm actually a libertarian. Uh, when I hear Sebastian Gorka or Mike Gallagher on the Salem Radio <laughs> Network talk, I mean, the issues they talk about are, are of absolutely no concern to me. I, I, I mean, they're right. so low on my list of concerns. And, you know, whatever today's outrage uh, the outrage of the day from the trans community was, or whatever somebody, uh, some professor said on MSNBC today, uh, it, 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 you know, if that's an issue you care about, you care about it and beef, you don't need to get my approval. But in, in terms of affecting the day-to-day -day life and in terms of affecting economic opportunity, education of children, criminal justice, which really wasn't much of an issue for a number of decades as things were getting better. We, we certainly turned the corner uh, turned the corner on that. A $33 trillion national debt that's going to be saddled to your lovely daughter and my nephew who just started uh, university to get his physics degree. Uh, have fun paying 80% income tax rates, kids, because uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be around for that. But um, it, it's it's just truly, truly bizarre. So I think you do make a good, a very good point that to the extent that people are opting out of, 
people on the right constantly railing about drag queen story hour and people on the left constantly railing about how you know white supremacy is the white supremacy violence is the greatest problem facing america today <laughs> they just look around their lives and, and understand that neither of those things is true so uh is there an opening for uh, some sanity um and as I said, I'm a Hibernian American. I, optimism is not in my DNA, but um, <laughs> it, as you say, it may, may, maybe maybe that's an argument for, for for optimism. Maybe they've just gone too far down their own little rabbit holes uh, that that get their own people excited and donated and selling. You know, a, a lot of public discourse now is selling product. It's selling books. It's selling T-shirts. You you hear these people on television and radio and and podcasts constantly selling product um a, a lot of these I, I don't think it's as prevalent on the left as it is on the right they're attractive young people many of them college dropouts uh it's really become much more of a of a business uh a, a, instead of the old days of you know william f buckley and gore vidal knocking heads uh in, in 1968 which you know at times even they got a little testy with each other but um it, yeah, quote I, unquote it, good days right you know i, I yes <laughs> I, I mean i think about that all the time I, i'll rewatch some of those uh episodes of firing line with bill buckley and and bill buckley was his voice and his writing was one of the reasons why i originally got interested in uh economics and politics me, me, I just, me too i was reading yeah. i was reading national review when i was in high school <laughs> exactly exactly and um you know i was re-watching some of those and i was like it, it was interesting to me because today's culture just would not be interested in those kinds of discussions. And it's not just the substance of the discussions. I mean, they were talking about what I consider to be far more important things than, you know, some of the some of the trivial stuff that we're talking about today. But um, but also just the format. I mean, it was it was kind of highbrow, long form uh, back and forths. And that's not really the world in which we live in. No, I think that there's there's definitely a market for that. I mean, people like Joe Rogan having a five hour show that you know millions of people listen to. Clearly, there's there's a market for something like that. But on a day to day basis, it's the cable news, it's the quick tweets, it's you know taking complex issues, whether you think it's important or not, complex issues such as white supremacy, and boiling it down to a tweet and just calling Republicans Nazis or calling um, all Democrats woke socialists or something. It's I, I wrote an article a while ago for the Nevada Independent, and I was talking about how more people should love hockey. And my <laughs> reasoning here was not just because the Vegas Golden Knights were actually doing really well in the in the season, but the idea was, you know, that's a great outlet for tribalism, something harmless like sports. It right. could be hockey, football, it could be, you know, movies, uh, you know, go become obsessed with Christopher Nolan films if you want to. Uh, but that kind of tribalism is is relatively harmless. You can bicker about sports teams and then move on with your life. Uh, people bickering about politics. So it's it's weird. There's a reason why a lot of people are, uh, you know, I, I see this constantly online, a lot of people talking about how they're losing friends over politics. Yep. And I'm sitting there going, there are more important things in the world. You know, the massive depression among teenagers, as you pointed out, the uh, alcoholism deaths, uh, the I guess the opioid crisis is no longer important to talk about, but you know that's still the thing that's going on. There are real problems in the world. I don't think I need to worry about drag queen story hour on a regular basis. Absolutely, and I yeah, I mean, what what what's more? I've been watching some ancient history documentaries, which tells people I'm sure a lot about how I spend my evenings. But <laughs> right. um, watching about the Colosseum and combat and that sort of thing. I mean, what what's more wholesome than than, than watching? And then I think Rush Limbaugh used to say, you you could devote your 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 heart and soul to this this. Athletic competition, and then 
whatever the result is, your life's not going to really change. You go back to your home, you turn the TV off, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and it sort of allows you to get that, that tribal element out of you. Um, and, and, uh, and, and in a way, uh, most of the time, no one's killed and no one's seriously injured. Um, and, and we had, we, we could, we, there were more productive outlets for our tribalism and yet, and, and I, I find maybe at my age, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more open to this as an argument because I think I've always been the, the angry young man thinking that, you know, everybody is conforming and we need to break things up. And I, I had a political philosophy professor who said that one time, there's, there's only two types of political philosophers, those that who believe that everything's coming together and we need to break it up or, or those who believe that everything's flying apart and we need to break things back together. But <laughs> I, this week on my, um, I run an old column because I've been writing columns for so many years. On Wednesdays, I, I call them Throwback Wednesdays on my, my Substack account, no doubt about it. Uh, just Google that D-O-W-D-M-U-S-K-A, folks, you, could, you can get to that. Less than a quarter a day to, to subscribe. Uh, and, and this was a book that uh, Charles Murray wrote, uh, I believe, 11 years ago now called uh, Coming Apart, uh, where he was looking, of course, he'd gotten himself in hot water. People were accusing him of all sorts of racist, you know, all these sort of racist charges. So what he did is he looked at a 50 year history of white America so that there was no, no one could accuse him of making any kind of ethnic or racial arguments about superiority or better this or worse that. He just looked at, you know, Euro Americans between 1960 and, and 2010. And he made a really, uh, it's a really compelling book. And I, I, uh, I somehow I ended up publishing the first review of it. I, I got the first review copy somehow. I don't know. It was some <laughs> paper down in Fairfield County, Connecticut, ran my, ran my, my review, but uh, before all the, the, the big boys got it, but he, you know, he, he talks about, there was a core uh, cultural foundation for the country, regardless of ethnicity or, or income or education. Uh, you know, if you had a child, you were, it was within wedlock. If you were an able-bodied man, you worked. Uh, any kind of encounters with the law were looked down upon. You were, you were judged for, for being drunk and disorderly uh, or, or worse. Uh, you were expected to kind of know your neighbors. And you hear that complaint a lot where people just don't know their neighbors. People go into their homes and close the door and, and that's it. I mean, there's air conditioning if you're in the hot American Southwest right. much of the year. Um, so, and really, and even religious, even, even religion, the, the, the notion that you are connected to something more than yourself, it didn't have to be a particular Christian sect or Islam or Buddhist or, or, or whatever, some type of higher power, or at the very least, a moral code that was accepted more or less on a universal basis. So over those 50 years, that just sort of collapsed. And the, the basic argument of his book is that when we think about you know, rich whitey in America, and we think about the country club, and these guys are always dumping their wives for younger models, and, and, uh, and all the women are sociologists and lawyers and man hating feminists, the, the, the data don't back that up. Uh, his 50 year study basically said, marriage, family, even weekly religious uh, uh, religious practices, they pretty much maintained themselves at the upper income levels, but at the bottom level, they just completely completely f fell apart. Uh, 1960, 94% of the sort of high socioeconomic status whites uh, were married if you were between 30 and 49. Uh, that was at 83% 50 years later, so it dropped, but not that much. Uh, at the sort of lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, it fell from 84% to 48%, just, just absolutely uh, collapsed. Uh, Charles Murray thinks, uh, this was his estimate around 2010, that something like 6 to 8% of children are born out of wedlock at the upper 
socioeconomic status where, you know, at the lower, nationally, it's 40%, and at the lower, it's, it's much, much higher than that. And in, in my state of New Mexico, the, the um, statistic was released, I think, by the Catholic Church here, was involved in healthcare. Something like 70% of all children born in, in Mexico now are coming into the world on the healthcare dole on Medicaid. Wow. Uh, something to be just, just uh, something to be just, uh, despise and the fact you know again another one of these issues that very few people have the guts to talk about so part of the division i think that the grand division between the haves and the have-nots and this is what murray was saying and i don't i don't think that any of the data have disproven him over the last 12 years or so is that people adhered to the people adhere to the old ways people who do that and and wait to get married wait to have kids uh buy a house with their 10 or 20 percent down get a good job maybe maybe mom and dad work or maybe just dad works people who hew to those old values uh there are the rewards for that are, are tremendous and when you walk away uh, i think i said in the piece i mean your life is just going to be drama and discord uh for, for the rest of your life if you don't if you if you go into that living your best life and if it feels good do it it just doesn't uh it just the data just don't support that <laughs> that kind of life being a good life for you uh you know regardless of, of of what your background whether you were raised in in privilege or not so i think that explains uh a, a lot of the uh, uh the, the sort of cleavage in our society and um what, what murray said and i think he's he's absolutely right today as as back then which is the people who are successful in our society today don't because they've embraced what another philosopher calls terminal non-judgmentalism non terminal non-judgmentalism <laughs> they won't preach what they're what they practice they practice the old values and it gives them a very rewarding life and a safer life and a wealthier life uh and they accept that and uh I i've lived in back east i lived I spent a lot of time in a very rich community. I wasn't part of the community. And I, here in New Mexico, I, I spent a lot of time in a very rich, primarily white community. <laughs> and these are people who are, they understand delayed gratification. These people, you know, they, they went and got multiple degrees. They work lots of hours. You know, they work in white collar professions. They work in healthcare or law or, you know, finance, that kind of thing. And the idea that they're just lazy trustafarians is, is nonsense. Um, I would get, a, I'd be up early with the baby, my nephew in, in, in New Jersey and at 6am you'd see the people in these, this Tony community getting up to go into Manhattan to work at their really high status job. The idea that you know the idle rich and 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 uh, benefiting from from mommy and daddy's money it's just not true the, the path there's a pretty clear path to success in america uh for your health and your your finances and being fulfilled professionally and we don't believe in in spreading that that message anymore and i think uh it's uh it's led to a tremendous tremendous destruction for people who've gotten some very bad advice about you know, live your best life. Don't answer to anyone. Uh, you know, if, if it feels good, do it. If the marriage isn't working out, leave. Uh, it, it, you know, don't stay for the children. Uh, it, you know, it, it, these are. It's 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 difficult for me to say this because I don't come. I'm not a. I love a guy who lives alone. I'm a writer. I don't, I'm not a marriage and family guy. But you know, the pe the people who compile the data and much of this data is compiled by the federal government really show what the path to a, a more meaningful, more fulfilling life is. So I think I'm, we, we do have these extremes in terms of ideological tribalism, but we also have an equally, if not worse problem, which is we're too afraid to talk about the basic model uh, that will bring you a more or less successful life in our country because we're so afraid of, of being called judgmental and and you know shaming and shunning and stigmatizing things that most of the time I think do deserve to be shamed and stunned and, and stigmatized. So uh, we are at a point of real, we're at a real 
cultural low point uh, in America. And I guess, can we as a society reach rock bottom the way so many people who reach rock bottom, who you know, living on the streets and addicted to, you know, there's a, there was a moment when they were able to see themselves in, in the mirror and, and turn things around. Um, that's, uh, that remains to be seen. <laughs> yeah, and, and I do think, I mean, you, you can see some of that cultural impact when, when you start looking at certain regions in the United States. I mean, Utah, for example, I, I love the state of Utah, not only because it's absolutely a gorgeous state, but they kind of seem to have their shit together. Um, it's, yes. it's one of those states that you look at it and, you know, we, wealth generation is actually pretty good there. There's not a whole lot of problems when you talk about homelessness or, or crime or what have you. Um, we were in Salt Lake City just over the summer. And I got to tell you, it's one of the cleanest cities that that I've been to recently. It's an amazingly beautiful city. Look at the cultural values of most people who live in Utah. And that that also, by the way, doesn't mean that they don't have their share of kind of free thinkers or what have you with sure. but as as a community the you know the state of utah you look at things like marriage rate you look at things like uh children born out of wedlock and what have you it is a more traditional state and it seems to be a pretty happy state it, it is and it's just by dumb luck that i i wrote this week's column a couple of days ago or last week's column on a new study actually no it came out this summer in july i've been meaning to get to it forever uh from the with the institute for uh family studies great great organization and they published with the utah think tank the sutherland institute out there uh an exploration of what they call the utah family miracle about how how uh, uh one of the highest high school graduation rates as you said lowest illegitimacy rate in the country something like 16 percent uh, it's 20 percent point percentage points lower than the U.S. median. Four and five uh, Utah children are raised in a married couple family. Wow. Uh, Utah has one of the highest workforce labor force participation rates uh, in the country. I mean, it's kind of how America uh, used to be. And the case for optimism, I think, and this study was a, a, an example as well. The, the whole paper itself, they, they sort of lay out the, the data for you, and then they recommend five policies. And, and, and as a libertarian, I'm not with them on some of these. I, I, I think maybe it's a little too too far, and they might be expecting a little too much from government, but it's a debate worth having. Uh, three of the just the ones I mentioned, I didn't have enough word links to get into all of them. Uh, they want a marriage license discount if you agree to go to uh, at least six hours of premarital education. Uh, the premarital counseling, counseling apparently is associated with, with less risk of divorce. Um, they want a child allowance, a government uh, supplied child allowance for families with children, you know, five and under. Of course, that gets my uh, libertarian hackles up. They want a commission on men and boys because so much of the data as women, uh, you know, now a majority of you know, the college educated women entering the professions and some of the data on men and boys in this country is very, very scary about the uh, males sort of opting out of the system and playing video games and, and smoking weed all day. Uh, they want a commission on men and boys. Again, as a libertarian, that, that really it's fingernails on a blackboard to me. But but let's have those debates. Let's recognize the success that Utah's happy, Utah has. And let's have a debate about why it has it and, and whether it's sustainable and whether there's a role for government to help keep it, keeping it, uh, keep maintain it. Uh, that's a debate worth having uh, over these very, as we said, you know, these very, very narrow uh, problems. And some of them, you know, some of them, I, particularly on the left, when you're talking about, you know, the world coming to an end in, in nine years. I mean, even things that I don't even acknowledge as problems, but it's it's great for the right. for the base. Um, listen, we, we we may decide we we disagree on some of these issues, but these are the kind of debates that are worth worth having. Uh, and we're we're just not having that we're, we're well, debating you know and you know and, and uh, we're debating four different indictments of the former president and the <laughs> and, and, and listen I, I've 
I, I take a dim view of all politicians. I think most of government is either morally corrupt, if not legally corrupt. And, you know, there, there's a certain amount of attention that should be paid to, to government corruption and that sort of stuff. But uh, giving the socioeconomic problems our country has, uh, we don't need to be spending the kind of time we're spending on Hunter Biden and uh, and uh, Russiagate. Well, <laughs> I, I really and, don't. And this, you know, this all feeds into the kind of illiberalism of modern politics, too, because, you know, everything that you just mentioned about the uh, the studies that they want to commission and uh, the, you know, the pre-marriage counseling, for example, my my wife and I, I, I was raised Catholic, so we were going to get mo- married in the Catholic Church, and we had to go to like a pre-marriage Catholic Church retreat sure. thing where they talk to you about marriage and what it means and all this stuff. And I mean, it was fine. Uh, Honestly, it was kind of a waste of our time because we'd already talked about all the stuff that, that they wanted us to talk about. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting because the other people there, you could tell many of them had never discussed things like how many kids do you want? (laughs) You know, like that seems like a big thing that maybe you should talk to the person you want to marry about. Um, So, so it was interesting. I walked away from that experience thinking, wow, more people should do that. Uh, but, you know, being the kind of libertarian minded guy that I am, never once in a million years would it occur to me, oh, let's make government force people to do that. Um, and yet that seems to be the first impulse in most modern politics. If I think something's a good idea, damn it, it should be mandated. And if I think something's a bad idea, it should be outlawed. Um, you know, you can look at that like drug prohibition, for example. You've got people out there who who they still want marijuana to be completely illegal. Uh, here in the sure. state of Nevada, we've got people saying, no, you shouldn't be able to smoke cigarettes anywhere. I mean, is smoking a good idea? No, of course not. Is the government's role to tell me that I shouldn't? No, of course not. You know, that's clearly where the illiberalism creeps in. And I think maybe that's part of the problem. We we do have real problems in this country. Um, you know, some of them are, are kind of hard to put your finger on, like the depression in teenage girls. It's really difficult to figure out exactly where that's coming from, although I think we have ideas. Um, unfortunately, our, when we start to discuss some of these problems, it always veers off into the, as you pointed out, like the Trump or anti-Trump categories, where somebody's saying, oh, let's do something through coercion with government, or let's you know absolutely do nothing and just keep the status quo. And uh, maybe that's that's probably what drives most of my pessimism is the idea. I think most people would be happier checking out of politics and focusing kind of on a personal level on those things in their individual lives that are making them unhappy. You know, if if you are one of those people that are suffering from this loneliness epidemic, if you look around and you think, Oh yeah, you know, I haven't gone out in weeks, check out of politics and and go find somebody and say, Hey, you know, let's, let's go get drinks. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know exactly how that's going to happen. I think all the people opting out of the political parties and kind of the discontent we have with modern politics, that's why it gives me optimism is because if people check out, maybe they'll start checking into those parts of their life that are driving the real fundamental problems in our country. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a cliche, but if you're a hammer, everything you see is a nail. If you're a opinion leader uh, and you're used to uh, crunching policy data and, and attending hearings and that kind of thing, I mean, you really do think that that government may have more power than it than it actually that it actually has. This is a a spiritual crisis, a a crisis of of meaning and and habits and beliefs and pra- practices, uh, and and it. I, I'm extremely skeptical of government's ability to, to fix this. I, I, I feel, uh, you know, I have a certain degree of sympathy for the paleo conservatives who have, have sort of come to embrace 
government trying to bring about you know their utopia the left of course has wanted government to bring about its utopia forever because i think their their hearts are in the right place but i uh, i have a daily email i send out through my substack not to uh, do a commercial for myself but just a couple of days ago uh the great thinker albert j knock the old old from the old right uh and my, my quote of the day I, I just do a a weekday email where we have the quote of the day and you know this day in history and then i have 15 links for the most important uh, uh articles that uh politicians and uh, media people didn't cover or notice yesterday that, that I did, and the ones you should be reading as, as one of my subscribers. But my quote of the day was from Albert J. Nock, and this is probably in the 30s. Uh, the present state of public affairs shows clearly enough that the state, uh, in, in the old sense of the state, he meant government, is the poorest instrument imaginable for improving human society, and that confidence in political institutions and political nostrums is ludicrously misplaced. Social philosophers in every age have been strenuously insisting that all this sort of fatuity is simply putting the cart before the horse, that society cannot be moralized and improved unless and until the individual is moralized and improved. Jesus insisted on this. It is the fundamental uh, principle of Christian social philosophy. Pagan sages, ancient sages, modern sages, a whole apostolic succession running all the way from Confucius and Epictetus down to Nietzsche, Ibsen, William Penn, and Herbert Spencer. All these have insisted on it. Uh, that is Albert J. Nock talking about uh, the state being what he called the poorest instrument imaginable for improving human society. That, that uh, feels like put a, it a little better than I could. <laughs> well, yeah, it feels like a very eloquent way of, of saying what uh, Andrew Breitbart eventually said, where he said politics is downstream from culture. Indeed. Um, and and I mean, I think it's very true. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe we're getting to the point of uh, just ludicrous public discourse that people are finally saying, you know what, I'm just focusing. I mean, I know many people who are like, I don't check the news anymore. I'm mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. I'm just trying to live my life. Um, and I, I, I actually, there's reason for pessimism in there, but there's also, that's exactly the reason for optimism as well. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think most of the things that we actually care about, it, you mentioned a while ago, global climate change and, you know, people on the left saying basically the world's going to die in nine years or something, <laughs> yes. you know, and then you look at somebody like, uh, Bjorn Lamborg, who, who does some amazing, uh, scientific yes, inquiry indeed. and, you know, you really, the state of humanity has never been better. Uh, you know, we're dying less from natural disasters, even when we had really bad hurricane years and they did more dollars in damage than any other time. We still have fewer actual deaths and injuries and stuff like that. Um, so again, we, we live in amazing times. I think more and more people need to say, okay, culturally, what's going on in my own backyard? What's going on in my life? Well, you, you make a, you've hit upon something that's maybe my greatest point of rage in my life, and I, I, I will leave it to the, com the comedian Louis C.K. Uh, to, 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 to articulate this, which is everything's great, everyone's miserable. Uh, yes. it, it, he, he tells a story about the, the guy next to him in a plane. He was flying from New York to California and, and uh, the guy next to him, the, the, the Wi-Fi kicked out on the plane and the guy was cursing and talking about how horrible this was. And, and I don't know that he actually said this to him, but he, he does it as part of his act. Uh, he said, you know, I turned, I turned to him and said, you're in a chair in the sky. <laughs> you're going 3,000 miles 100 years ago. You would have left with a whole party full of people. Half of you would have been dead by the time you got to your destination. So maybe you should just, you know, calm down a little, my friend. Um, and, and it is, it's, it's a paradox to me, Michael, I don't understand how we, we were, as a species, we're stumbling, stumbling toward more and more knowledge. We, we're not where we need to be, but 
on an almost daily basis, we're learning more about what uh, is, is good for your body, what is good for your mental health, uh, you know, what, what accounts for individual flourishing and societal flourishing. We, we have this knowledge. And then we go back to the numbers we started this depressing podcast with. Uh, if you told people 100 years ago about our communications tools and our, our healthcare technology and, 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 and our transportation systems, they would say this is heaven on earth and everyone must be just walking around skipping and singing and whistling all day long and they would be stunned to hear those numbers on mental health and suicide and, and substance abuse you should just be grateful and i and i just know that um uh, the, the, the mental health community talks about you, you you cannot retain depression and despair and suicidal ideation in your brain at the same time as gratitude because the gratitude just drives out the dark stuff uh, the human brain isn't advanced enough to, to maintain both of those concepts at the same time and so why are we not as a society doing what Bjorn Lomborg does and constantly harping on how good how much better things are and frankly how much better things are likely to be if we could fix some of these uh, serious problems that, that plague us um, you know a little a little bit like a, a punk trustafarian who never has to work a day in his life complaining about how bad his, his life is and how mean mom and dad are uh it, it's uh it's hard for me to square that that reality and even on a personal level sometimes i have to remind myself when difficulties come and i recently encountered a few weeks ago a very significant difficulty in my life um you know to to not give up and, and get it give in and, and focus on the positive uh whether you think it's God ordained, or whether it's just mankind doing uh, doing what mankind does, uh, we are blessed in so many ways. And to kind of turn our back on it and and uh, wage war on ourselves, wage war on each other, uh, uh, it, it's bizarre, unhealthy, and maybe that's the maybe that's our optimism. It's it's gotten to a point where things are so bad, people are waking up. I'm what I describe as an accidental Stoic. Marcus Aurelius and Stoicism like became really popular a couple of years ago in hipster mm -hmm. circles. Oh, and, yeah. you know, and I hate it because everything I like <laughs> always ends up going into the hipster yes. circles. It yes. just drives me nuts. But, um, you know, nonetheless, like I really do love Marcus Aurelius and I read him years and years ago and I started thinking a lot more about it. And it's just kind of this attitude of, all right, what is before me? What are all the challenges? What are the things I can do about it? Mm -hmm. And only worry about those things. And those mm -hmm. other things you kind of, set back and and one of the ideas and i forget who originally said it but he said something that when they became stoic helped them was they thought about the future for a second and they realized that we always ideate the most utopian future if you if you're talking about like the actual future of society we think oh in the future we're going to have flying cars and people are going to be able to transport you know goods to our colony on mars and everybody's just going to be living in this wonderful little happy homogenous society well, that's not humanity. Uh, you know, you're still going to, even if you have flying cars and it's the Jetson-like future, you're still going to have people worrying about whether or not they're going to lose their job. You're still going to have worries about uh, mental health. You're still going to have all these other things that have always plagued us. And and maybe that's part of the problem is we are living in the future, so to speak. If you went back 100 years ago and told them all the technology we'd have, they would think it was just mind-blowing. We, mm -hmm. we literally have in our hand something that looks like science fiction uh, called a cell phone. Yep, yep. And we are living in the future, but we're still dealing with all those instincts, all those uh, uh, mental anguish, all those problems, even poverty, even though poverty is at an all-time low worldwide. We're still dealing with all those, and I don't think our brain knows really how to, how to balance those two, how to say things are amazing, and yet obviously there are still serious problems on the horizon. Maybe that's just the crux of it. We we have a very difficult time putting everything in, into perspective and into context because, damn it, we want it all perfect. 
Absolutely. I, I, I can't believe we waited 48 minutes to bring up Jordan Peterson. That's, that's a new record for any podcast in America. But <laughs> but uh, I do like it's it's probably one of his most frequent clips, but I do think there's a lot to it. And I, I think I suffered from this when I was a teenager, or maybe in my early 20s. I mean, young people have this urge, particularly the more privileged or at on college campuses and, and have been told how you know wonderful and smart they are their whole lives. I mean, these are the these are people who want to reorganize the global economy and they can't keep their dorm room clean. And, and it's, it's, it's a very <laughs> right. and and I, I recently happened upon a kind of a sad story and I didn't really even read it all the way through because it just was kind of depressing. Not that it really affects my life at all, but um, there was some I think it was the Iraqi Parliament or or some governmental entity in Iraq was the country that was going to welcome the West with flowers and garlands and we were going to establish a you know New England town democracy in, 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 in Mesopotamia. I guess there were some kind of draconian laws passed recently about you know limiting women's ability to you know engage in public and there's some anti uh, you know same-sex stuff target you know just some kind of cruel and unnecessary stuff that I don't you know a, a liberal in the old sense of the word and you know a tolerant society would, would not endure this kind of stuff and it was you know not not what we think of as, as advanced regardless of what your religion or your, your politics are um, you know Americans died to achieve that vision in Iraq from people who you know, teach at Georgetown and, uh, you know, have, have nice uh, gigs at the American Enterprise Institute and, and, uh, and look, look, look where it's brought us. They're not exactly uh, accepting the, the Western democratic uh, tradition when it comes to gender roles, you know, one exactly. more example of, of how unnecessary, and I hate, kills me to say it, and I don't want to cheapen the, the loss of the people who did die there, but I mean, it's very clear that that, that vision was a deeply flawed vision. So you can, you can say, say it's on the right with, with kids who want to establish global equity economically, or you can say it's on, on the left, and you can say it's on the right uh, with people who want to use the, the American military uh, to uh, export democracy. Fortunately, there's what did someone say? There's only 25 neocons and 20 of them are editorial writers. Uh, oh, right. Neocons aren't having a great moment right now. And I think more Americans are waking up to the, the potential quagmire that, it, that is Ukraine. Um, you, you're right. And, and the notion of, you know, the salvation of humanity is each of us tending our own garden and, and, and just, you know, knocking on your neighbor's door and saying, how are you doing? You know, the, the old lady down the street is, you know, she's starting to get some, have some physical problems. Can, can you help her out there? Uh, my I think it drives me crazy is given so many of these fatherless homes in, in America. And I, I grew up with a big family. My father was in the house and my father's still in the house. I grew up in with his wife, my mother. Um, why isn't there not an organization where on every cul-de-sac the, the fathers who are still present aren't doing a weekend activity with uh, the, the, the boys in the houses that don't, that don't have their fathers. Now it could be building it. We're going to build a tree house. We're going to build a rock wall this weekend. We're going to go down to the lake and we're going to go fishing this weekend. These, a lot of these kids have never been fishing, uh, you know, the experience, you know, they've never been on a dirt bike, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that's, I think our, 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 you know, sort of one-on-one really what might be perceived to be, you know, meaningless small little acts but why uh, I, I think those a, a lot of those adding up mean mean a heck of a lot more than these crazy crusades to save humanity whether it's you know at the point of a gun or, or financially so um maybe 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 we're ever, at it or maybe we're at a tipping point michael maybe maybe <laughs> yeah, did, did you ever see that um there's some guy on youtube that uh he i think he said that he grew up with a without a dad or something so he decided to start a youtube channel called dad how do i oh wow and, and he just he teaches things on this YouTube, like how to tie a tie, how to change a plug, how to, you know, just little things. And the whole idea is it's for people who don't have a father figure to ask. 
And, yep. um, you know, little things like that are are so amazing. And most people, everybody who sees it, you know, instantly says, oh, that is fantastic. That's great. That's that's God's work, so to speak. Sure, um, sure. And yet so few people actually do that in their own life when they're talking about saving the world. Instead, they turn towards government or something. Um, and and the again, the libertarian in me, you know, affects everything from how I write to how I look at big picture issues. And it's just as you pointed out, government's not a great tool to solve our problems. Um I always look at the economy. You know, most most reasonable people, unless you are actually a self-avowed socialist or communist, would say that centrally planned economies generally are not a good thing. Well, this is kind of the economy of ideas and it's the economy of prospering in your individual life. It's not going to be centrally planned from a group of people um, at, at the top of government. It's going to be a grassroots thing where each one of us in our own life, paying attention to our own life, is actually what what creates a better society. Um, <laughs> well, I, you're, you know, your point, it's funny, we, we haven't really talked about the, the cost of government or, you know, financial things this this whole podcast, and probably, probably we weren't supposed to, but I, 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 a weird form of optimism, I do listen to a, a guy in the weekends who's deep, deep in the dark web, which uh, I, I don't even know if I could on a family show to tell you what, what the guy's name is, but he makes an interesting point about $33 trillion in, in federal debt and the, and the complete lack of sustainability of the federal government doing everything it does, and that's going to cascade down to state government, local government. Uh, there was a, I think the Pew Research Center just did a study on state, more of the, of the state level budgets uh, are, is coming from federal revenue, revenue than any other point in history. And of course, the lockdown money was, was funding a lot of that. Uh, the system uh, cannot sustain itself. And so whether we, whether we're trying to use moral suasion or our brilliant arguments or not, just wait. Uh, ch change and reform will be forced upon the system because of economic reality, because of fiscal reality and and and, and uh, uh, commercial reality, and uh, the baby boomers uh, retiring and international competition. We're not going to be as uh, uh, profligate financially. We're not going to be able to be as sort of culturally reckless as we've been in the post World War II era. And uh, so his his he gets to optimism through pessimism, I guess, because we're just it's going to be forced on it. America's going to have to learn to grow up again uh, just because of the the simple numbers game. And I do think that, you know, in a weird sort of maybe, um, you know, rebound off the, the billiard ball uh, headed toward destruction and come back at us, it might come back at us in, in productive ways. Yeah. So I guess the answer to our original question, optimistic or pessimistic, uh, the answer is yes. It's a particle and a wave. Yes, exactly. it, it can be both things. <laughs> exactly. Um, hey, Dad, if people want to read more of your stuff, obviously, like I said, link will be in the description here of the podcast. Um, and if you go to Creative Discourse, you'll you'll see it. I'm, I'm definitely going to make sure that it's recommended on my list of recommendations. But um, where can people go if they want to find it? Yeah, uh, my, my, my just name is D. Dowd Musk. I, I use uh, pretentiously use my, my first initial, but uh, D. O. W. D. is the first word. Uh, M. U. S. K. is is the, is the is the last name, folks. And uh, it's just a it's a Substack account. You, less than a quarter a day, you get uh, the daily download. All kinds of what you need to start your day. I write one column a week. I do an old school column related to a, uh, a current issue, uh, also on Wednesdays. But uh, above all, Michael, most the most popular feature of my Substack account is the Friday bureaucrats behaving badly. I scour <laughs> the internet every week, ladies and gentlemen, to let you know about people who are on the public 
payroll and misusing your money and even worse uh we won't need to get into uh well, well let's what's be fair you, you don't have schools. to scour very hard for that you can look no <laughs> i well you know what it's just it's how do i limit it basically um <laughs> and there is you know there's some there's a lot of crime in there in terms of actual criminal activity and dui and some stuff in our schools it's very scary but what i the, the bottom of bureaucrats behaving badly every uh friday is my favorite part because it looks at the inspector general and the auditor reports that have come out in the last week and oh, <laughs> uh, my favorite from last week was the Wisconsin Economic Development uh, Commission has, is not meeting its job goals and it waited years to recover from uh, businesses that got subsidies uh, and did not pay them back. The auditor said that they were they have raised similar concerns about this corporate welfare agency in their three prior reports. Uh, some things in government never change, ladies and gentlemen, and that's why I and I think maybe your host uh, lean toward the libertarian side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's funny, too, because, you know, again, talk about reason to be optimistic. More and more people that I talk to feel that way. They don't necessarily identify as, you know, libertarian or what have you, but they they definitely agree with the statement that, yeah, pretty much all politicians should be suspect. Yes. Um, uh, and and what I love is people to this day, um, uh, people, whether it's the post office, whether uh, a revenue official is coming to look at your receipts, uh, there, there is still people still recoil and, and they understand how uh, bureaucrats lacking a lot of the incentives those of us in the private sector do. It really is life is very, very different in in public service. And there's still one of the things I pin hope on is that still there's still skepticism and cynicism about government in our country. Mark, you know, Mark Twain esque uh, rolling of the eyes. And as long as we have a good uh, reservoir of that in America, I think there's still hope for this old beaten down, battered republic. Yeah, I, I call it the rock and roll anti-authority uh, mentality. You know, we've Heck always yeah. we've always had that in in the United States. But um, Dad, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Michael, and uh, let's do it again. Again, Dowd Muska, definitely check out his Substack link in the description. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you brought up Mark Twain, too, because I think that Mark Twain, in addition to being one of my favorite writers just because of his wit, uh, sometimes he can be a little bit long-winded because he did get paid by the word on occasion. Uh, Mark Twain kind of epitomizes the way that I think we should try to look at the world. Uh, it's, it's a level of cynicism and skepticism but somehow can still kind of be cheery every once in a while. Because we really do live in absolutely, stunningly, amazing, wonderful times. Uh, death and destruction are down. Poverty is down. We've got this technology that makes our life better in immeasurable ways. Uh, it, things are amazing. We live in stunningly amazing times. And yet we're all depressed as hell. And, and I think that that is because so often we focus on the wrong things. Uh, all the technology, all the progress that we've made in the last 150 plus years, we look around and we think the world should be perfect. And obviously it's not because the world is still full of human beings. And as human beings, we are all flawed and societies are going to be equally flawed as individuals. And, and I think that our brains just don't know how to balance those two things. So... Hopefully, I'm leaving you with something to be kind of optimistic about. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Creative Discourse podcast. Thank you so much for checking out the Creative Discourse newsletter. It means an awful lot to me, obviously. But also, it's nice to just know that there are a lot of people out there thinking about how to act more creatively or look at the world in a kind of divergent way. Uh, if you are not already subscribed to the Creative Discourse podcast or the Creative Discourse newsletter, just go to creativediscourse.substack.com. Sign up there. There's, of course, a free subscription option and then a paid subscription option. You get a little bit extras with the paid. Thank you so much for listening. I am Michael Schaus. This has been Creative Discourse. Creative Discourse.